Well, I do hope uh, that you guys uh, take advantage of the things that are offered today at 5 o'clock to see the entire Christmas musical uh, uh, performed. And then after that, if you have a teenager, um, uh, and middle schooler also, Scott, middle schooler or teenager, to have him, them here uh, for the Summit uh, Christmas party, even if they've never attended before. Let this be the first time uh, that they attend uh, and just to celebrate uh, together with, uh, with uh, their peers. Uh, this Wednesday at 6, we would like for as many people as possible uh, to come and to join us as we go uh, around the area caroling. Uh, we, we have pickup trucks and wagons and trailers and songbooks uh, for everybody, and we're going to go around and share a little Christmas joy. Uh, if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, don't worry. All right? My bucket is bigger than yours, and it still won't hold whatever comes out of my mouth. Um, so join us for that, and then on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock, be here to celebrate uh, Christmas together. Uh, if you're making family plans, we're doing our best to keep that to about an hour, um, but we would love to have you with us. And then next Sunday uh, at 10.15, we will have our, the last uh, celebration, last service of this year, uh, and it will be a celebration service and a communion service. So come uh, and focus uh, on that with us to wrap up the year. About three decades ago, um, the leader of the prestigious Southern philosophical think tank known as Alabama um, said these words, I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. And you're starting to get in the, you have the tune in your head now. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Our lives are hectic and they are too full at times. We get confused and we feel trapped, and sometimes we feel desperate. And today, I want you to hear this morning that those feelings of confusion, they don't come from our Father God. They don't come from our Redeemer. They come from the Father of lies. They come from Satan. And I want you to hear this morning more loudly and more boldly than that, that, this, that he does not have to be your Father. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's not your father. If you've not surrendered to Jesus, he does not have to be your father any longer. If you're a believer, my prayer today is that you believe with your heart as much as you believe with your head that Jesus is the redeemer of the world and to allow your life to be truly transformed. There's two types of knowledge that we carry around. There's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge. And you've heard us talk about this before. Head knowledge is important. It gives us facts, it gives us commandments, it gives us laws, but head knowledge, if that is all that we have, also leads to opinions being puffed up, of us thinking too, too highly of ourselves than we should, of us being in a, in a conversation more to win an argument than to share the love of Jesus. At times, head knowledge can divide us. So we want there to be head knowledge, but we also, more importantly, want there to be Heart knowledge. Heart knowledge is that is that, that leads us to living out our true faith in broad view for everybody to see. Head knowledge may divide. Heart knowledge transforms. So if you're a believer today, I pray that the message of Christmas that you've heard from Tony and Scott that you'll hear this morning transforms your heart into loving and living like Jesus. If you're not a believer today, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, I pray that this series has helped you see that what 
Jesus offers you is much more powerful than any lie, any bill of sale that the world can, can give you. Our lives and our schedules may be full, and I pray that as believers that they are full of things that bring honor to our God and that are ever expanding his kingdom. Our, our lives may, be, may seem haphazard and they may be confused, but they don't have to be. Because our Father is not the Father of confusion. He has given us a very clear, a very basic even mission that we are to be chasing after as believers in him. And we will know when we have completed this mission because we will no longer be sitting in burgundy chairs in Williamstown, West Virginia. We will be singing with the heavenly choir in a new heaven and a new earth. So the fact that we're sitting here together getting ready for Christmas later this week uh, tells us that our mission is not over and our mission has not changed since Jesus gave it to us. We've been looking at the Christmas story on two different fronts. We've been looking at the, the, the gospel account that is peaceful and serene, that, that is comfortable to us, that is familiar to us. But we've also been looking at the Christmas story through the lens of Revelation chapter 12. Here in, in the Gospels, we have a, a crying baby king who has been born and is being celebrated by the shepherds and by the angels. In Revelation 12, we see the war that that birth kicked off where the forces of good and evil are battling each other. And we see there in Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, we see these words. John writes, Woe to the earth and to the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great fury. Depending on the translation of the Bible that you read from, uh, whether it's the ESV where it says great fury or great wrath or the Holman Christian standard with great fury or the Amplified Bible in fierce anger. Or the message paraphrase where it says he's wild and raging with anger. Satan is not in a good mood. He is ticked off because, back to the scripture, because he knows that his time is short. He knows he has a short time. He, he, he knows that he hasn't, much time, he hasn't much time and he knows it. Satan is defeated and he knows it. He is caged, he is trapped, he's desperate. And a desperate Satan is a dangerous Satan. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched, uh, ever seen or witnessed a caged animal or not. I've grown up on a farm, right? When raccoons get in the, in the, in the, in, in the garden and you want to remove that, you catch the, the raccoon and you take it to your neighbor's property uh, so that it, it takes over his stuff. But while he's in that cage, that raccoon is not happy. And it really doesn't matter what it is, right? Have you ever tried to take your cat to the vet, right? You know that a caged animal is not necessarily a happy animal. And if it's a wild animal, that animal will do anything in its ability to change its circumstance. And that is what Satan is. He is a caged animal. A desperate Satan is a dangerous enemy to have because he has nothing to lose. And he is committed to having you lose right along with him. He doesn't care about you. He just wants you to lose with him. He doesn't want what's best for you. He just wants you to suffer the worst right beside him. He doesn't care about your eternity other than he wants you suffering in hell's fire forever 
with him. And he will use whatever tactic he can to pull you down with him. He will get you to accept short-term pleasure for long-term punishment. He will, glad you hook, he will gladly hook you up with worldly riches because he knows that there'll come a point in time where you have to watch all that burn away. He will glad, gladly introduce you to physical pleasure in your life because he wants to see you devastated when you have to answer for all the other biblical covenant relationships that crumble around you when you take your focus off of him. He will usher you down the road to success by any means necessary because he knows you'll have to answer for all the carnage that you leave laying alongside the road. Friendships destroyed, your reputation and integrity damaged, your spouse and your children asking why could he choose, why could she choose this over us. In this Advent series, I hope that you have seen all that you need to see about the enemy that we face about the person or the, the lowercase God, lowercase g God, that the world too often follows, that we too often follow. And when you read Revelation 12, it shows you just how evil, how vile, how committed Satan is to waging war and ruining lives. And all of these are in chapter 12, but in verse number 7, we see that he started a war. A war rose up, in, uh, also in 7, that fighting between heavenly forces of good and evil take place. In verse 9, we see that he is the deceiver of the whole world. In verse number 10, that he accuses our brothers and sisters. And then also in that verse that he never quits. He accuses night and day. He does not take time off when he is coming after us. But we also see in Revelation chapter 12, we see Satan's destiny. We see what he is destined for. In verse 8, we know that he has been defeated. In 9, that he has been thrown out of heaven. In 11, that he has been conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. In verse number 12, again, we see that he is desperate because he knows his time is running out. If we go back a few weeks to when Scott shared with us that first gift of Christmas, uh, that, that Satan offers you deception and lies, that he offers you at best half-truths about God, and he went, Scott went clear back to Genesis, the beginning pages of Genesis, to show you how he did that. I want you to know, though, church, that gift number one that gift of being taken from deceived to delivered, I want you to know that you are far more, you are much more in the hands of a loving creator than you will ever be in the lying hands of the deceiver. You were created for more. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image, man and woman created in the image of God. You were created to be much more. In, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul reminds us that, that we are recreated. Not only did God create us to be his image bearers, but now when we put our faith in him, we are recreated into something new. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. And not only are we created and recreated, but we are adopted. We're, we're not just brought into the city of God. We're not just brought into the, the small group of God. We are brought into the family 
of God. Romans chapter 8 says that we are heirs. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You have been Trans, you have been moved from deceived to delivered if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Last week, Tony Postaway talked powerfully about gift number two from Ephesians chapter two, how Satan wants to accuse you. Jesus wants to make you righteous. That gift from accusation to righteousness. And if you are a child of God, if you have accepted Jesus as your savior, then you are not a child of Satan. He is no longer your father. And you need to quit living as somebody accused. Satan wants you to operate in the shackles of sin. He wants you to deal with all the, the consequences of your bad decision. He wants you to live a life of shame because that's where he is. But Jesus offers you more. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 said, Yes, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you want where you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, period. But then Paul does something that every English teacher has told us to do, never start a sentence with butter and the next sentence starts, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses and made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Church, if you are a child of God, we need to quit living like the love child of Satan. You have been created, recreated, transformed, adopted, saved, sealed, and forgiven. Your security, your purpose, your identity is in Christ and what he made you, not what Satan and the world accuses you of being. If you're not a child of God today, if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to hear what Scott placed before you two weeks ago and what Tony shared last week. And what I am attempting to share with you this morning. Because those words that we shared aren't our words. We are just the mouthpiece. We're just the conduit through which Jesus has chosen to share his message in this time and place. Because the words that we share are the very words of God. The very words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 30. Jesus offers these words to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Bluntly, if you have not put Jesus on as your father, your father is Satan. And I want you to know, that as great as the commercials make it seem, 
as great as pop culture makes it seem, Satan, if he is your father, he cares nothing about you. This father seeks to destroy you. This father is destined to hell and he wants you to go with him. This, the place that he is going is described as a place of eternal torment. This place is characterized by a weeping and gnashing of teeth. The selling point of this destination is a lake made of fire. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, says that this place was designed, it was prepared for Satan and his angels. Who was it prepared for? Satan and his angels. Who was it not prepared for? You. It was not designed for you. Why, why, why would we choose to follow someone who does not love us to a place not designed for us? John 14, if you still have your thumb there, right, tells us that there is a place prepared for us. John chapter 14, and again, I encourage you to do this last week in the one sheet, and I encourage you to do it again this week. Uh, read 14, 15, 16, and 17. Beautiful, powerful, passionate words from Jesus to you. But to start off chapter 14, he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... What I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. He, tell, he, says, he says that because there's only one way. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Satan hates your guts. He wants you to stand accused. He wants you to stay deceived. He wants you trapped and desperate and headed to hell with him. But Jesus offers you a better way. And that's gift number three. Jesus offers you a life that switches from being trapped to being transformed. John 8, 32 uh, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. John, or Paul continues that sort of that same theme, that same, uh, that, that same avenue in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And when he says, now the Spirit is the Lord, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Jesus offers you transformation. He offers you truth that makes you a new creature. Satan, creature. Satan hates you. God loves you. God loves you so much. There's, fame, there's familiar words that we read in John chapter 3, verse 16. He loves you so much that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you've been in Awana, you've known that verse for a long time. If you went to VBS as a kid or Sunday school as a kid, you probably recognize those words. Those are important. Those are powerful words. But church, we stop reading far too soon. Keep reading into verse number 17. For, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. We have this idea sometimes that God is this cosmic cop out there just waiting for us to mess up so that he can zap us so that he can judge us, so that he can catch us messing up and rip the blessings of eternal life and heaven and salvation out of our hands. That's not what Scripture says. He loved us enough to send his son to us, and he didn't come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Satan is desperate. His time is limited, and he wants you desperate too. So he will take a good marriage, and he will drop right in the middle of that marriage a blast from the past, and all the feelings of the past start to bubble up again to create a wedge. Or he will take an image on a computer screen or on a phone and use it to drive a wedge into the most important human relationship that you can have. He'll take a small disagreement about something like money and he will magnify that so that it becomes a point of contention that helps a marriage crumble. He will take a small, just a, the smallest disagreement and make that fester into something that wrecks your relationship with your spouse. Satan wants you desperate. He, he will take a job that sometimes you may feel trapped in and convince you that by fudging the numbers just a little bit or by rounding up on your timesheet, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's going to keep food on the table. He'll, he'll convince you uh, that, 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 that promising something that you know you can't deliver to a client is okay. He'll trick you into compromising your ethics so that you can get bumped up to the next sales bracket. He'll, he'll convince you that hurting an apo- or a coworker is okay because that's just what you do to climb the ladder. He wants you trapped. Satan will, t- will take a, a well-rounded and, and solid teenager or a, a, a solid young adult and convince him that she's, he or she is not enough. Take this pill to, to help you stay awake in class or, or take this pill to help you perform better. Uh, in, in an athletic environment. Cheat on this test or this homework assignment. Nobody will know. No one will even notice. But it'll keep mom and dad, it'll keep your, parent, your teachers off of your back. It's okay to dishonor uh, teachers and parents and friends because that's just the norm. Or so culture says, Satan wants you confused. Satan will take anybody who's struggling with their identity and twist the words just like he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that? Did Jesus mean that? Surely God wants you to be happy. You just be you. 
Satan wants you confused and trapped and constantly questioning and desperation. But God wants so much more for you. God offers you truth and he offers you freedom. He offers you a solid identity as an image bearer, as an heir to heaven, as a child of God. He offers you the ability and the opportunity to be glorified through the gift of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. He offered you his Son so all that could be accomplished for you. God is patient. We see Satan, he's trapped, he's desperate. God's the opposite of that. God is patient. God loves you and he wants you to be in his fold. Peter reminds us of that in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Satan has a full arsenal of weapons that he will use to destroy you. God, too, has a full arsenal of weapons that he will use to pull you into a relationship with him. He does not even hold back that which is most dear to him, his only son. God's patient. Paul and Peter both remind us that he desires all men to come to repentance, and he's patient. And, man, I thank him regularly that he is patient with me, with family, with friends who I desperately want to know Jesus and to name, his, name him as their Savior. But Jesus won't wait forever. There will come a time where the choice that we have now to accept him, to put him on as our Savior, will no longer be an option for us. We are here today, and we know that the mission of God is still in front of us. And because we are still here today, we know we still have an opportunity and an option to choose. So this week, I pray that as we are uh, coming together as family and friends, that we pray that God gives us the courage and then the obedience. And as Paul says, the words to say that when, when we open our mouths, we can proclaim them boldly to a cousin, to a parent, to a family member, to a friend who desperately need Jesus as their Savior. Because without him, church, there'll come a time when they're separated from you and all that is good forever. Satan wants you trapped because he is trapped. He wants you desperate because he is desperate. But a trapped life is not the life that God desires for you. It's not what Jesus died for. He offers you forgiveness. You may think that today you stand outside of the, the, the reach of God's forgiveness. Look at how Scripture describes the forgiveness that God offers. It comes from Luke chapter 6. Picture forgiveness. Picture a bucket, and he just scoops forgiveness in on you. When he gets full, he takes his fist and pounds that dirt down, pounds that forgiveness down further and further, and pours more on until it overflows. That's the forgiveness available to you in Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, 10 said, Jesus come to give us life and to give it abundantly. He reminds us what we read in Revelation chapter 12, that he's a deceiver. He's an accuser. He wants to destroy you. In John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, destroy. But he said, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus came for. 
But I've got to be honest with you. This, all this that Jesus offers doesn't mean that when you come to him and you put your faith in him that all of a sudden your life just turns around and everything is rosy. That's not what he's delivering you from. Oh, you may have good things in this life. And you'll experience a freedom because you're following after, you're chasing after Jesus rather than anything the world offers. But he cha- he, when he makes you a new creation, he changes your focus. That you can enjoy things here on a different level, but that ultimate reward, that ultimate reward of being a, an heir to heaven is that new heaven, that new earth. When you accept him, you are free from the consequences of your sin. And every day that you're alive, you're freed more and more from the stranglehold that sin may have on you. But one day, when Jesus returns, you will be freed from even the very presence of sin. And as I look at my children, as I look at my grandchildren, as you look at your family, man, wouldn't it be awesome to live in a world where our kids no longer have to worry about sin. That's the promise that God shares with us. Through Jesus Christ, God offers you the amazing gift that stands in stark contrast to the trapped, desperate, and doomed life Satan desires for you. Satan offers hell. Jesus ushers you into heaven. Satan wants you deceived. Jesus wants to give you truth. Satan accuses you night of day. Jesus says you're worth dying for. Satan wants you trapped and desperate. Jesus came so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 30, as we close. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know what you walked in here carrying today, but if it was heavy, it wasn't from your Savior. Whatever shame, whatever regret, whatever sin that you're carrying around today, Please know that you can lay that at the foot of the cross. And Jesus has promised to carry it for you.